This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Thanks for joining us. I'm Leanne Castellino. Catastrophic is one word that's been used to describe the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on students and education in Canada and globally. It left millions of children and parents scrambling and in many cases continues to do so, even with a return to in-person instruction in many schools. Our guest today says school shutdowns during the pandemic have, quote, destroyed lives and should never happen again. An academic, he is chair of the Worldwide Commission to Educate All Kids, president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions, a think tank, and editor-in-chief and publisher of Global Brief magazine. Irvin Student is also father of three. His international resume includes attending Aurora High School in Ontario, Oxford University, and the London School of Economics in the UK. He joins us today from Richmond Hill. Irvin Student, welcome to Where Parents Talk. Thanks for having me, Leanne. Irvin, in a piece that you wrote recently uh, that appeared in the Globe and Mail, you describe Canada as having suffered, quote, the darkest pedagogical period in modern history as a result of COVID-19. Can you paint a picture for us of what that impact looks like? Uh, I think the, the education catastrophe in Canada is the biggest catastrophe of our multiple catastrophes during the pandemic and the one with the, the longest tentacles for the long term. It has both moral and strategic consequences, moral for the lives of, of hundreds of thousands of young people and strategic for the future of our country. If we don't have educated young people or if young people are patently uneducated. So here we are, the pandemic catastrophe in pedagogy um, had two elements. First of all, when schools were closed around the world in March of last year, this was the most simultaneous policy or coordinated, let me say mimicked policy action uh, in world history. Schools around the world were closed almost at the same time without countries talking to each other. It was just instinctual, and that was the easiest things to think to close, and it was done with the best of intention. We didn't know what the COVID pandemic was at the time. We have a much better idea right now. But the immediate consequence of that was that many students went home, went back to their villages around the world, went into the workforce, went into uh, all sorts of crevices in life, from which they would not emerge. They left school permanently. In India, the number of students who left school permanently as a result of the school closures is 100 million, at least. In the United States, it's 15 to 20 million. In Canada, it's about 200,000 on my calculations. I think it might be higher, but 200,000 is a reasonable estimate. We call these kids third bucket kids. These are the same kids who were in our parks, in our arenas, soccer pitches, basketball courts, parks, malls, but a year and a half ago. Soon as the school closed uh, for a host of reasons, and over time, of course, they would leave school permanently, in many cases, never to return again. I repeat, 200,000 kids on a global student population in Canada of 5 million. That is catastrophic. It's a moral catastrophe because these kids can just simply not do well in in post-pandemic life. And secondly, how are we to talk about a serious post 
uh, pandemic Canada with this huge sudden underclass of regular kids, rich and poor alike, who are, are not educated. So we'll talk about how that happened. That's the first element. The second element, of course, is just huge learning loss for everyone else who was in the system due to uh, poor teaching capabilities, online schooling, absence of discipline, lack of structure, on-off again schooling, disappearance of ambition standards, and, and such. So the catastrophe is twofold. Again, it is the third bucket kids who are not in the first bucket, physical schooling, not in the second bucket, online schooling, there are no schooling at all, and massive learning loss. And together, they, they, const they, they constitute what I think is the major calamity of the pandemic period for our country. So unquestionably, those statistics absolutely jump off the page and, and should disturb all of us, uh, parents or not. Uh, you know, parents uh, were left to their own devices quite literally during this time that we're talking about. You're a father of three, Irvin. What did the school shutdown look like in your home? It was extremely grave, and I, I count us as well-to-do Canadians, established Canadians in, in great part of, of the city and the country. We're very fortunate in life and in Canada. And schooling was always thought to be the most stable of institutions in Canada. My kids were in French immersion school, all of them, just as I was in, in the public system. And in March of last year, the schooling collapsed. It went online, which was of course uh, a universal transition across the country uh, for a period of time. But the quality of learning was, disappeared immediately. Motivation for learning disappeared before long. And then the fact of learning, I think, disappeared in total by, by the summer. And I'm sure we'll return to this, but by the time school resumed in September, uh, schooling for my kids, I think, as for many kids across the country, had this anomic quality. It became meaninglessness, meaningless, because we were unable to reinsert the content, the spirit, the standards, the ambition of, of schooling when we returned. We returned to what, what I call zombie schools. Even if the physical school was open, it was not pedagogy and, and learning and, and ambition that, that prevailed. It was policing the student body for a defensive purpose, for, to not die or to, to live another day, as it were, as we imagine online. The kids were not learning. And they continue, by the way, to not learn properly across the country. Many of the schools are zombified, particularly here in Ontario. So that was the experience for my kids. We And we were improvising daily. We improvised to this day. We had to do much shifting of, of schools. I think for all three of them, we shifted schools constant uh, interaction with principals, teachers, supervising. Of course, it was exhausting, and I think it was repeated across the, the households. If I may go back to how uh, kids who were as fortunate and less fortunate than ours were ousted from schools, that in this same experience, as soon as a family goes online, while we imagine as the officials tell us that everyone is just pivoting seamlessly and frictionlessly between bucket one, physical school, bucket two, the online world. And you can just go back and forth depending on whether school is open, whether or not school is open. What happens in reality is that a, a, a small proportion of the population has no access to internet as soon as you go online. An additional proportion has no access, ask access to stable devices. 
there's a substantial number of, of Canadians who live in abusive homes. So the children are, as soon as they're online, are not learning for all practical intents and purposes. Certainly if you're online for two or three months at a time, that's it. If you're a little bit older, you'd go into the labor force, potentially never to return. And, and the most pathological case we saw, Leanne, was in the high schools. And the way we declared the school closures in Ontario, which were very long, was that they would be indefinite. The premier at one point said in April of this year that the school closure is indefinite. And for a high school kid who goes online, school loses all purpose. They lose community, they lose the boyfriend, girlfriend, they lose sport, there's no music, there are no clubs, and there are no walls to keep the student in. So they turn off the device and they leave into the either. And because everyone's online, no one chases them. No one even knows that they're missing. And that their position in, in, in Ouster in the third bucket consolidates and they, and they never return again. In very, very large number in the high school category is the most dangerous because these are almost adults, uh, but without adult learning. And we're foisting them or unfurling them into, into a world that's much more cruel than the one in which you and I grew up. And we've done not a great grave disservice only. We, we, this is a criminal collapse in, in public policy and, and adult responsibility. You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we're talking about the impact of the global pandemic on the education system, as well as post-pandemic, its impact on students and families. Our guest is Irvin Student, father of three, president of the Institute of 21st Century Questions, and chair of the Worldwide Commission to Educate All Kids. There is so much to unpack in everything that you just said, but I, I want to go back to the basics in terms of, you know, what can and should parents be doing to support the transition of their children back to in-person learning, although that's not happening across the board everywhere, and to try to bridge that learning loss that you referred to earlier. At the individual level, I don't want to presume or give very strong advice. Everyone has their own reality. What I would say is my fatherly instinct, my parental instinct that I share with my wife is that if I may be direct, we must educate our kids to the nines, maximally educate, over-educate. That is the primordial instrument for their success tomorrow in a much more cruel world absent which they just will not do well, except if they're very lucky. That is just the historical fact. And so we've done our kids a great disservice. My uh, counsel to all parents, all parents who are invested in their children, I'm sure that's 99% of your listeners and, and the population. Educate, educate, educate. Do not zombify the concept of education. Everyone must be back in physical school without exception. There is no risk to the child at all. The statistical uh, risk to the child from COVID is zero, statistically. There will be exceptions in all cases, but such is life. But the certainty or the probability of ill success or failure without a proper education is extremely high, extremely high. So I'm for an, a very offensive posture in education in person, but not in person in a zombie school where everyone is walking around to avoid death, as I mean. We need to double down because the world of tomorrow is that much more difficult and we've lost a lot of time. So I believe in excellence. I need to, we need to be, even be better than 
the system that, that you and I knew and in which we were raised and that we allowed to collapse. The baseline rule, of course, and my threat to decision makers, I, I call it a threat because not a physical threat, but a threat in the sense that I will consider it from now on a crime if any school is closed um, beyond, beyond even a moment. No school closures ever again, except for war. That is the rule of the pandemic. It is what I call student's law because a learned law we now know that there are 500 million children around the world, half a billion that were ousted from all schooling during the pandemic because of closures. Full stop, 500 million. That's the size of the European Union. So school closure means death. And it doesn't mean death through COVID. It means death because the child does not return to schooling for some of the dynamics that I mentioned. For those in the system still, we must double down on quality, excellence, no cancellation of extracurriculars, uh, no extra rules to, to stifle or cage the child, unfurl the child in the system, uh, bring content and spirit back. That's what the best jurisdictions around the world are doing. Unfortunately, in Ontario, we're still in a defensive posture. We don't know how to get out of the cage we've set for ourselves, but I'm very much for that. Uh, there needs to be very tailored, choreographed learning catch-up for all kids tailored because everyone's coming from different circumstances. Some have learned better during the online schooling period in the pandemic and the, and the quarantine than others. Uh, some have not learned at all. Some are more independent in learning. And as I mentioned, some have left schooling altogether. So we need a specific regime for every child. If I may, Leanne, that requires huge work. That means administrators, teachers, principals, and the community must be in the field all the time, door to door where necessary extra hours, even an extra extra school year, as we used to do in Ontario with the OAC grade 13, is in my view commended because we need to better incubate our children before we, uh, we, we let them go into the post-pandemic world. We are going to continue our conversation with Irvin Student about the education system post-pandemic. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino. We are in conversation with Irvin Student, who is the chair of the Worldwide Commission to Educate All Kids post-pandemic. He is also a father of three and an author. Now, Irvin, I want to ask you about the commission that you chair. It is studying Canada and as many 60 other countries around the world on this issue in terms of the impact of, of COVID on the education systems around the world and on students. Let's talk about post-pandemic for a minute. You've given us some ideas about what should be done. Um, in theory, they sound absolutely like goals we should all be trying to achieve, but in practice, obviously it's far more complicated. So how would you go about suggesting that we as parents and as, as those who work in education, strive to achieve the excellence that you are describing must happen for the post-pandemic world? That is a huge, huge question. 
and, and one with which we struggle on the commission as well. Just to go back in time, the commission was launched out of the Institute for 21st Century Questions in January of this year. We have uh, top members from over 60 countries now and about 25 from across Canada, including principals, ministers of education, deputy ministers, uh, former cabinet ministers, premiers, the and, and similar representation across all the continents. And we were launched specifically because here in the suburbs of Toronto, I began to see regular kids who were just out of school. And I don't want to go into specific stories, but the reasons for them being out of school were extremely human, but counterintuitive. My response, of course, was the response that any of us would have given in 2019 to a child being out of school in the middle of a school day. What do you mean out of school? It didn't compute. They would say, I I'm out of school. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the pandemic to be over. Or my parents just decided we'll take a few years off. Or uh, I'm working now. Or I'm in a, in a bad home. Or my parents are too scared to send me to school because of COVID and they're sitting in a basement as a result playing video games for, for two years. The, the reasons run the panoply of the human condition. But it took me several months to accept what I was seeing on the ground. And then on inspection of that hypothesis, I realized that the problem is, I think, the biggest problem of the, the, the entire pandemic around the world. 500 million children out of school, many permanently, is the future of the planet. So if we go back to the country of India, there's no way that India can outpace China this century or in the coming decades because China has kept its system whole and India has collapsed its education system. We have a similar problem in Canada. We've allowed many of our systems to collapse. So we have to work extra hard for the future and starting with education. So what does education post-pandemic look like? Well, let me, um, I won't fetishize it about in respect of technology and specific topics, but let me put some baselines down because the goals of the commission are, are twofold. One is to find and reintegrate these 500 million third bucket kids into schooling immediately. And I say immediately because the window for, of opportunity is very short, lest they go on to other things in life and that's it, they're lost and they will not do well and the countries will not do well. And the second goal is to pivot towards quality and education post-pandemic for those in the system so that we can better prepare them for the world tomorrow. And if you imagine, again, you're preparing for, you're not preparing for a basic algebra test, now you're preparing for an advanced calculus exam over two years worth of work, you're gonna have to prepare all that much more. And we should imagine that the world of tomorrow because of the collapse of institutions and countries and welfare over the course of the pandemic will be that much more unstable. And therefore, our kids need to be that much more educated. Education, not as fetish, not as uh, a trivial or optional thing, as the basic preparation of a child for tomorrow. And all societies that have done well and peoples who have done well have understood this. We seem to have forgotten it in Canada. So what does it look like? First, let me start with the, the basic structural law. Thou shalt never close schools again. I never want to hear anyone propose closing a school. I don't want to hear parents saying, I'm taking my kids out of school. It's too dangerous. They'll be, take a year off. All of these things are, are anarchical and nugatory to, to the welfare of, of the child and, and, and the society. School, school, school as the baseline for our future success. Secondly, uh, 
the return to school must be, and starting from this fall, which is why I've been hard on our decision makers, our, our medical advisors, our, our, our deputy minister, our ministers, calling them directly and calling them out where necessary, must be full on, contentful, spiritful, ambitious, ambitious. None of this gradual return to school, see how it looks. Maybe we'll close again. Maybe we'll open a sport. Maybe we'll do soccer, but we can't do soccer and hockey at the same time. Full on. And the reason is that we need to recapture that that spirit that we had in 2019 and and out and 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 put to the the dustbin of history the zombie condition which we so the kids can only learn if there is spirit and content and ambition in, in the schooling system and we, we that's still to be mastered but it must be full on so that's the second point third excellence in teaching and now we have excellent teachers but we don't have what I would call a national teachers or a national education or a national learning strategy in education. And this is now a national mission because although provincial jurisdiction is, is supreme on education and the federal government is very soft touch, we have now a national problem because of the collapse in education and we can't have a national future without education. So the federal government and national leaders must get involved through whatever instruments they can to encourage and hire the very best teachers, very best people from across the world and across Canada, there's a real opportunity. So in math, we hire the top uh, math specialists, top science specialists, top athletes for phys ed, top principals, and really inject content and resources uh, in, into that. Irvin, let me ask you, in all of the different roles that you play and, and the research that you've done and all the contacts you have in this space, are there countries in your estimation that got this right? Yes. Um, for uh, There are four or five groups of countries that look at us here in Canada like we're from Mars. What do you mean Canada has 200,000 kids not in school at all? Is this the same Canada we knew and admired? Two years ago, it's the same Canada that produced what I still think is the most educated, formally educated population in the world. And I answer yes. So what did they get right? Well, first, there are countries that have a better systems understanding of, of society and state and institutions than we do in Canada. So that when the pandemic hit, they knew that we couldn't just shut off a, a major system like a, through a tweet or as if it were just a computer button, which we continue to do across systems of society in Canada. We, we tweet to close a system, which causes mass disintegration. In, this, in the event, we close the education systems with tweets, a smile and an awe shock, sometimes with applause, and then the kids went into disintegration. But in the countries of Northeast Asia, particularly China, Singapore, Japan, South Korea, Vietnam, to some extent, they have a much more systems based understanding of, of society, engineers, if you were, in, in government. So they knew that there were many moving parts. Soon as they they closed the, the, the schools for a while, they, need, they knew that they needed to compensate for leakage online and that they needed to reopen the schools almost immediately, which they did. So they persisted to learn. That's the first category. So they're way ahead of us, by the way. While we've been collapsing our system and not learning well, they've been learning normally and, and in some cases even better than before. So who's going to win? Second group is 
uh, the group of countries that had perfect internet access. So when they went online, even for short periods, no one was ousted into the third bucket for lack of online access, lack of device access. Here we're talking about the Baltic states of the former Soviet Union, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Scandinavian countries, and of course, many of the Northeast Asian countries, again, some in Southeast Asia. Um, third, the countries that had very robust compulsory schooling laws, and laws that endured through the pressure of the pandemic. And, and that, by the way, if I may go back to your last question, is something I, I would insist on for a post-pandemic schooling is that compulsory schooling must mean compulsory schooling. Everybody is in school until the age of 18. No excuses, uh, no, nothing about personal preferences for this. Do you want to do online one day? Do you want to do, what do you feel like doing? The Minister of Education does not tweet to the public, I want to open schools, who's with me? This is all, these are all intra-pandemic nonsenses that would, would have been understood thus, but two years ago. So in Austria, Germany, the Scandinavian countries, Netherlands, the compulsory schooling laws held firm. There are many who argue that the pandemic has shone a bright light on gaps in the current education system as a whole. It has allowed parents to see how their kids are taught, how they learn. It's allowed them to look into homeschooling more deeply, pod schools and other non-traditional learning environments. In your estimation, has it perhaps signaled the beginning of Education 2.0? And if so, what role do you see parents could play in that scenario? We have not gained any advantage as a country in education through the pandemic. We have overseen the collapse of our education system. It's a catastrophe. There will be some students and families and kids who get ahead through their own genius and resources and good on them. But their advantage, which is in numbers marginal, does not a system make. We have an opportunity, but I actually see it as an obligation. I, I think we're correcting mistakes here. I don't, I'm not fanciful and, and gleeful. I, I'm not one who sees this as a great opportunity. That, that is Facebook and Twitter speak. We've collapsed the system. We must resuscitate it and reconsolidate it immediately. That requires all hands on deck. So that requires the offensive posture, compulsory schooling. Those who are in pod schooling, homeschooling, very well. I know there's a community of, that, of, of those people and some are learning extremely well. And that should be the case in any resuscitated system still, or for 90 to 99% of the student body that is in the system, especially the public system, which I support. I'm a public system graduate myself, proudly so. Uh, we must double down on quality, content, excellence. And this requires all hands on deck. If we say as a country, 10 years on, why are we losing to the countries that I articulated that kept their systems going and that continue to educate with quality? And we say, well, we were happy to educate in pod school and homeschooling and sometimes no schooling, sometimes school on, school off. Uh, we will deserve our defeat and our kids will just not do well. They will have their lunch handed to them by the other countries that, that have done well because they will, as, I, as I've written before, they will meet them in the theater of life. 
They will meet them in business. They will meet them in culture. They will meet them in war and peace. They will meet them in, 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 in personal exchanges. And we will just not be at the right level. We have to take just a responsible adult posture here. Let's fix what, what we allowed to break. Let, let it never happen again. And let's double down on the excellence that's required to succeed. Certainly lots to think about as this story continues to unfold in the coming weeks, months, and certainly years. Irvin Student, Chair of the Worldwide Commission to Educate All Kids, thank you so much for your time and insight today. Thank you, Leanne. That is our show. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. 